time for another edition of the Penn State Blitz via Penn Live. Remote edition again. We're in April. It's great. Bob Flounders and Greg Pickle. A lot to get to in this installment. We're going to talk about the opportunity Greg and I had to chat with Kirk Shiraka, Penn State's new offensive coordinator. Also, we're going to talk a little bit about what Sandy Barber, Penn State's AD, had to say recently. There's a lot of recruiting news potentially positive for Penn State, and we're going to close with the Penn State mailbag. Okay, Greg, I've done enough talking for a while. We just got a chance to talk to Penn State first-year offensive coordinator Kirk Shiraka, and he talked about the offensive installation. He touched upon some other points, but let's get it started with you. What stood out from our little 30-minute chat with Kirk? Yeah, it was a great opportunity to get to know him a little bit more. So you had a good chance to talk to him back when they did the introductory news conference at Penn State, which I think was in early February at this point. But um, I know we both got to you know see him a little bit at the Cotton Bowl as well. But this was really the first half hour opportunity that the media has had to get a little bit deeper into his thoughts. And Bob, I think a couple of weeks ago, you had said something to the effect of he seemed like a Joe Moorhead 2.0. And I really did get that sense. He's a very down to earth guy. He's a very pragmatic guy. He's not, you know, if fans are worried that, you know, they have somebody who won't be able to adjust on the fly, who will back away from his convictions and his game plan just simply because it's not working at the moment. I don't think you have to worry about that. I was really impressed with how him and James Franklin really seemed to go well together when it comes to the idea of single-mindedness to the uh, task at hand and focusing on, you know, what needs to happen so that, you know, whatever plan they have in place works. So he's a pretty impressive guy. One of the things that jumped out to me was how he talked about the way the offense is being installed and the fact that, you know, even though they can't be in person, he can still accomplish three of his four seemingly bullet teaching points. That's my word, not his, but he said technique, uh, assignment or two of them and there's one more a that i can't think uh, yeah, think of it i think execution was in there somewhere it was alignment assignment and uh technique the three that he could do from obviously the zoom meeting world and the video conferencing world but then the last one was to do it or as you said execution obviously they can't do that right now but his hope is that they get to a point where um by the time they get back together they can knock out those three boxes completely and then they'll be able to, um, you know, do it uh, before practice begins. And we'll get a little bit later into how much time Sandy Barber thinks they're going to need to get ready if and when that day comes. But, yeah, Kirk was impressive, Bob, no doubt about it. Yeah, Greg. And when you've been a coach for 30 years and he, I think he got his start as a Temple grad assistant and he's been, I think, at 11 different schools, all of it on the offensive side. And he's coached virtually just about every position. I don't know that he was ever an offensive line coach, but all the positions I think he's coached, obviously he's coached quarterbacks. I guess we shouldn't be surprised when somebody like Penn State tight ends coach Tyler Bowen says, this guy is unique in that he knows the the finer details of every position of every player on the field, how they're supposed to line up, their splits, you know, what they're supposed to be thinking, the distance on the routes. You know, obviously he knows what the quarterback's thinking. Kirk talked about that about knowing just about where everyone needs to be. And he said it was almost like, you know, in the early years at some of the smaller schools, he almost had to do it for self-preservation because he, he was either, you know, the program was either replacing an assistant or they were a little shorthanded. And it, it really was in his best interest to kind of learn all of the different positions. But now I think 
you know, wherever he goes. And I think you saw it at Minnesota. His ability to grasp the whole picture of the offense is just it, it enables it an offense to be so much more efficient. Yeah, it really does. And he talked about the fact that he's not trying to take Tyler Bowen's job or trying to do what Jaywan Sider does. He wants those guys to be experts at their craft. And let's be honest, they are for the most part. Phil Troutwine's the one we don't know a ton about yet. Same with Taylor Stubblefield. But he talked to Soraka did frequently about the fact that he became fascinated in the inner workings of each position during his rise up the coaching ladder. And that helps him be able to speak the language of all of these different guys. And let's be clear, I think one of the reasons that this uh, marriage, if you will, is going to work beyond the fact that Soraka and Franklin seem to have that same optimistic, upbeat, we can overcome anything personality is that this scheme is fairly similar to what Penn State ran before. I believe the way Kirk put it was, it's not like we were coming in here trying to teach French to a bunch of people who speak English. You know, they're all talking the same language. He did say, however, for those that might be concerned about it, that if a Minnesota player walked into the meeting room right now, they wouldn't know what the what jargon and what terms that Penn State players were talking about. So they've mixed that up pretty good, as you can imagine, uh, being a, a Big Ten uh, East team and getting a guy from the Big Ten West. But yeah, he's really impressive, Bob. And one thing you wrote about, I think, a question that a lot of people had. So the two main questions that seem to pop into the mailbags as it relates to Kirk and what he's going to do is, number one, how is this offense going to function? Um, you know, will it go under center? Will there be a fullback? He's already said no to those two things. The second question is, is he going to use the tight end since he didn't have really any tight end production during his time at Minnesota? And he's been very frank about, look, my goal is to get our playmakers involved. Maybe he didn't have it. He didn't say this. I'm saying it. But it's not like he had world set world beating tight ends at Minnesota like he has with Pat Fryermuth and some of these other guys at Penn State. So you can rest easy about that. And then, you know, some have wondered if running the quarterback is going to be something that this offense can do. Bob, you can talk more about that because Tanner Morgan didn't do it. But you don't have to expect that Sean Clifford, Will Levis, or whoever else gets in the game is going to sit back there like a statue. Yeah, so he's going to adapt the offense. He, he, you know, even though he hasn't had a chance to see, you know, Sean Clifford and Will Levis on the practice field, he got a glimpse of Sean Clifford, the runner, in the Cotton Bowl win over Memphis. And he's, he's, more importantly, Greg, he's seen both these guys, you know, train in Dwight Galt's conditioning program. They've both gotten even bigger since last year. I think Clifford's put on a couple pounds. He's 219. Will Levis is 230, and he looks even bigger in a good way. And both of those guys, I thought, Greg, it was smart of Penn State to use them as dual, as as running threats, much like they used Trace McSorley, especially in 2018. But I don't know about you, Greg. I thought Ricky Ronnie, one thing that maybe maybe it was because they were deficient in some other areas. I thought he leaned a little bit too much on the quarterback run. And I thought not only, I thought Trace got a little beat up as the season went on in 2018. I know that obviously Sean Clifford did. I think that Kirk is aware of that. And I think instead of you're seeing instead of seeing the quarterback run some games 10 or 15 times, I think he would like to maybe see that beat six or eight. He mentioned running them between the tackles and the toll it will take. I think you're going to see a variation somewhere in the middle between Ricky Ronnie's heavy QB run offense. And then I think you're going to see Kirk use it, but he's going to use it and scheme it in a way that maybe the quarterbacks won't get hit as much because those guys got hit a lot, especially down the stretch of 2019. Yeah, Bob. And we heard James Franklin talk pretty extensively last year, especially uh, as it relates to the Ohio State deal and Will Levis coming in that. Sean Clifford was banged up and that he couldn't do what they wanted him to do. He couldn't maybe function in the offense at 100 peak, 100 percent peak percent. And that's just not going to work. We've seen them try that already, and it just isn't an option. So 
The key now, I think, is going to be to see how Shiraki can minimize those things while still making opposing defense fear uh, what those guys can do with their legs because they are very athletic. They are very uh, willing to be passers and runners. So it's going to be an interesting mix and obviously improvement along the offensive line with Phil Troutwine with a lot of those veteran guys can be a pretty big part of that as well. Uh, I know that you, you and Dave Jones, our Dave Jones, got on the Sandy Barber conference call recently. She talked about a lot of things that I think the fan base want to know about. But let's just let's let's cut to the chase and get to two. The 60 day window for Penn State's athletes, football players to be on campus to get ready for the start of the season, whenever that would be. And also, you know, depending on how things play out, do you think some other Penn State sports are in danger of either being cut or being limited or being impacted just because of, you know, how much Penn State football and the revenue generated from that kind of influences on what Penn State can do with uh, their other sports? And I believe they have almost 30. So what were what were Sandy's feelings on those two topics? Yeah, let's just run through the four takeaways quick. Number one, probably the biggest headline that came out of it is that she believes a 60-day window is about what is needed to get the players ready and the program and the college ready for game day. Now, there's been a lot of people who have taken shots at that and say, oh, you know, high school guys need three weeks, yada, yada, yada. That's, you know, college players get ready in a month. And I understand all that, but I don't think you can um, take away from the fact that most of these guys are going to be away from real, true, legitimate weightlifting and physical fitness equipment from the middle of March until probably the middle of July. That's a pretty long time to have them away from all that stuff. And I just think if you want to think that they can get ready to play football again safely and at a high level in you know just 21 days or 30 days, maybe they can do that. But at what risk to the product? At what risk their, to their health and safety? So I think that's the first thing that uh, that's worth pointing out. I also think some of that 60 days of administrative stuff. You know, they're going to have to get in there and clean a lot of things. They're going to have to get in there and start meeting in person to figure things out. So I think she probably could have helped herself in the court of public opinion by saying. I know what those 60 days would entail, because I don't think it's entirely 60 days to get physically ready for the, the football team to get going. So um, the other thing she talked about, Bob, was the idea of spring um, spring football next spring. If it comes to that, if there's no fall season, could she envision a spring season? She could. I think everybody can at this point. It's, you know, they're going to do whatever they can to get these games played at some point in time. And I think they know that the financial and revenue um, pictures very much depend on a football season taking place. So fingers crossed that we don't have to have that conversation anymore. But she and every other Power 5 athletic director is open to it. So I think that was noteworthy. She was also asked about the idea of doing what Iowa State did and cutting bonuses, eliminating bonuses and cutting the top athletic department earners pay, which is something that a lot of people in the corporate world are doing, not so much in the athletic athletic and university realm. She seemed to indicate that's not an option that's on the table. So I thought that was interesting to note too. And obviously, um, one other question that keeps coming up, Bob, is will games happen without fans in the stands? The NFL level, I think that's plausible. And I think Dave Jones outlined a pretty good uh, case recently for why it's not really possible at the college level, unless you make those guys employees and unless you start to pay them. What incentive do they have to go make money for other people and risk their their health and safety and everything else? So, you know, Mike Gundy, the Oklahoma State head coach, had a pretty preposterous news conference uh, earlier this week, basically saying without saying that, hey, look, these college football players get a free education and make a, a lot of people a lot of money in the process. And we need to get them back to campus as soon as possible to make sure that gravy train keeps going. 
And I just think the players at a lot of schools um, will eventually say, hey, look, we're not we've played along with this charade for a long time now. We're not going to continue to do it when something like a global health pandemic and crisis is going on. And if it's not safe for students to come back to campus, if it's not safe to have public spectators in the stands, then we're not going to play either. Yeah, I think you make some good points. I'm just going to throw this out there. Penn State this year has a couple of uh, awfully talented draft eligible players that are probably wondering about testing and all that stuff. One is a local guy, Micah Parsons. He's going to be in his third year. Another is Pat Frymuth. He's going to be in his third year. I mean, I, I think a lot of Penn State players are thinking about uh, public safety. They're also thinking about their future. And if they're not completely satisfied, like you said, there's no real, I mean, I, I know that they're on scholarship, but some of those guys are really probably thinking about uh, playing at the next level. You just have to wonder what's going through their minds. That's probably another topic for later, later uh, in the spring or in the summer. But before we get to your big recruiting news, and there is some good recruiting news for Penn State, why don't you update the listeners uh, and the viewers about what they can do? And by what they can do, I mean five-star reviews to make this, th these videos and these podcasts even better. Yeah, Bob, let's make clear. I believe this is the first video version that we have. Your camera is rolling, correct? Uh, this time it is. Perfect. Okay. So um, things are, are counting. Well, that's good. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So the Penn Live uh, Penn State Blitz is obviously in podcast form most weeks as we do these remotely. They will be uh, out Thursday as they've been since we've started with Mark Pines and Salim and Martin and the guys in the Penn, uh, Penn Studios, the award winning Penn Studios, I should say, right. Bob, has picked up a couple of awards this week. But um, yeah, so the podcast usually come out Thursday morning. Now, look, if Penn State schedules an availability with James Franklin or somebody else and we think it's best um, for you, the listener, to get that information in the podcast, maybe some weeks we'll push them back. But right now, you can get it uh, wherever you get your audio, Google, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. They come out Thursday morning. But if you subscribe, you'll get them when they are uploaded. So you might get it Wednesday night. And also, don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, leave us some feedback. Let us know what you think of the show, what topics you would like us to, to talk about next week. And if you're listening and watching uh, the YouTube video of this, remember, it's YouTube.com slash All Penn State. If you're bored, you can look up all the archival footage we have on there from past and, uh, you know, past Penn State games and past Penn State seasons. So those are there, too, along with the Blitz. And we will be right back after this break. The Penn State Blitz continues, as does the Penn State uh, Blitz podcast, uh, double dipping as always. Let's get to some recruiting news, Greg Pickle. Penn State's 2021 class is still not that big. It got a little bit a little bigger with the, the addition of that four-star offensive lineman. But now Penn State is, seems to be focused on some uh, potential uh, verbal commitments from the Detroit, Michigan area. Two of them are related. So what can you tell us about Penn State's push? into the state of Michigan. They've had a lot of success there. What can you tell us about the push into Michigan and how likely, if, if there's a couple kids, maybe they have a chance at, uh, at getting, how likely will they get all three? Yeah, so at this point in time, Bob, it does look like Penn State's gonna have a good close to the week. I wanna make note of the fact that we're recording this, as I said before the break uh, on Wednesday, for it to go up Wednesday night, Thursday morning. So some of what we're about to talk about could possibly be, um, could possibly be old news just because we're expecting things to happen really fast. Starting with Jalen Reed, he's a four-star safety 
who's committing Thursday, April 9. So if you're listening to this in the morning or in the afternoon, he may have committed already, but he's a four-star safety that Tim Banks, the, the position coach at Penn State, has been doing a ton of work on to try and get in this class. He has a top seven of a whole bunch of who's who schools, including Michigan State, including Michigan, with the Lions look to be in pretty good shape to land him. The 247 crystal balls are unanimous for him. They're also unanimous for, uh, you know, four-star uh, corner Kalen King and three-star linebacker Kobe King. They're the twins that you mentioned, also from the Detroit area. I think they're going to announce on Friday. They've been a little bit uh, unclear about exactly how that's going to play out. But the unanimous balls are, uh, or I'm sorry, the crystal ball balls are unanimous for them from 247 Sports 2 to pick Penn State. So looks like the Lions are going to get a big push into Detroit here, into Michigan. And again, there's been some mud slung in Tim Banks' direction, I think, because of how the safeties have performed from time to time during his tenure. But the guy is a, a top-notch recruiter, yeah. especially in the Midwest, especially in Michigan, and even especially in Detroit. So this is a good little haul for them to try and lock up here, get some guys in on defense. Right now, all of the commitments in Penn State's class of 2021 are on offense. You have four-star Landon Tangwall. He's the most recent commit and a four-star offensive lineman out of Maryland. You have Nate Bruce, of course, the three-star offensive lineman out of Harrisburg who committed, then decommitted, and then committed again about four and a half hours later. And you have Liam Clifford, too, the wide receiver out of Cincinnati, Ohio, who, of course, is uh, Sean Clifford's brother. So Sean has a workout buddy that he can uh, you know, go out and work with while uh, sticking to the social distancing rules and all of that and only being around your family. So I'm sure that's helpful for both of them. Um, but yeah, it looks like Penn State's going to have a nice run to close the week here and send the weekend into a high note for James Franklin and his team. All right. So my not so big brain is going to work here. I know that there's been some pretty famous father son combinations that have played at Penn State over the years, obviously. And I know I believe there's been some brothers that have played at Penn State. But this is something we're going to need to do potentially a, di- a deep dive into if, if both Kalen and Kobe King from Detroit area become Penn State and Indian Lions. Have there ever, has there ever been twins play at Penn State? Do we know the answer to that? I don't think that there is, Bob. And, you know, the big reason why, there's been a couple kids, I think, of the Dowd brothers, Andrew, and uh, I can't think of his brother, but they were guys, I think, a few recruiting classes ago. Here comes Lola, by the way. I think there were a few, um, a few recruiting classes ago, Bob. Those two were both considering Penn State, Andrew and David Dowd. But the problem was that Penn State was kind of high on one of them, not as high on the other one. So they ended up going somewhere else. And that's a lot of what you run into. That's kind of the problem with twins. Um, in a recruiting class is that if you're if they want to play together and you think you have room for one and not the other, that obviously is going to kill your chances more often than not. So I am going to be willing to bet that that's not happened before. Maybe way back in the day, um, you know, maybe way back in the day, that was a, a possibility. But in re- the recent years, since 2010, even maybe back to 2000, there's none that immediately come to mind. We're going to hold you to that. I'm sure there's some fan that's going to have an answer for you. I don't know that there's ever been twins. I know there's been brothers, obviously, and there's been father sons. So and I think there's actually been I think there's been grandfathers and, and grandkids, I think, that might have played as well. I don't know. I'm probably getting off on a tangent. All right, let's close strong, Greg. Let's get to the Penn State mail. I know I have one question for you. Do you have one for me? Bob? We're going to talk. We talked to Kirk Shiraka, and I know we've hit on a lot of the key points from him. But did anything jump out to you as surprising or unexpected or uh, interesting that we didn't get to earlier in the show? And beyond that, 
if you what was your thought about Kirk Sharaka before we got to talk to him and what are your thoughts about him now? He just seems and I we've talked to him a couple times, saw him down at the Cotton Bowl. I'm sure he's different on game day. We haven't seen that. We didn't really get a chance to look at him on the on the Minnesota side when they when they upset Penn State. He he seems like he's he's just a guy that's really comfortable in his own skins, in his own skin. I know that he's been around a lot of different programs. Just wondering if, if we're ever going to see any fiery moments from Kirk Shiraka as he gets comfortable at Penn State. Not that he needs to be fiery, but I just remember in 2000, I think it was 2017 uh, media day when Joe Moorhead, out of kind of nowhere at his media conference, kind of went off just in general on the national perception of his his uh, offense being just a, an offense where they throw 50-50 balls and hope for the best. And I think he used the word asinine at some point. Hopefully, Greg, we're not going to be on uh, the receiving end of something that, like that with Kirk, but he just seems very confident and comfortable in what he's doing. He believes in what he's doing, you know, and not that Ricky Ronnie didn't, but I just think that anything that you throw Kirk's way, whether it's as a question or maybe in game, I think he's going to be able to adjust pretty quickly. I, I, and I think the one thing that we haven't really had a chance to ask him, because he really hasn't had a chance to see him is, I'm dying to know what he thinks of his wideout group because yeah. obviously he's going to praise Jahan Dotson, but I really want to hear him talk. And it's going to be hard for the guys that maybe we haven't heard from that he really likes the best. But I think we have to wait till maybe they have, they've had a couple weeks of practice. Any, is there anything uh, that surprised you on, on, from Kirk? Uh, no, not really. Um, I would use the word acidine for a uh, fauna park, by the way, we'll leave that at that. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, so I think that he just has, you kind of hit the nail on the head. He just has that calm mentality and that, you know, almost beautiful mind like approach to things. And you just get the sense that calm, cool, and collected is yeah. what he is all about. And uh, I think that's a nice change of pace. And I think you make a fair point too. It's not, it can't not be a slight on Ricky Ronnie, but there's just no other way to say it that um, I think he obviously has, uh, you know, really tried to master his offense and he has mastered it and he's really comfortable with what he does and that's a good thing for Penn State. Yeah, I love that you love yeah, I love that you just inadvertently loop Kirk Sharaka and Russell Crowe together in the beautiful mind reference. I think I'm the only one that probably got that, but that's that's my problem. Here's my big picture question for you. I'm gonna name three national college coaches. You tell me who had the worst week, rank them. Ready? Yes. Dabo Sweeney, Mike Gundy, and Mike Leach down at Mississippi State. Rank them, and, and as a and as a follow up, do you think in some coaches' cases there should be clauses in their contracts that they're only allowed to talk about specifically and to act on football questions and leave like everything else, uh, kind of just just stay away from everything else? Yeah. So I think number one, far and away, is uh, Mike Leach. I mean, I don't even know what he was going with there, quite honestly, nor what. That was all about. That didn't make any sense to me why he would do that, other than uh, he's obviously a, a, a little bit out there compared to a lot of coaches. So I think he's number one. Mike Gundy is 1B. I thought his comments were just absurd. And it's, uh, I guess it's a little bit refreshing to hear somebody admit indirectly that, you know, college football players are basically around to make a lot of money for everybody else. So that was refreshing to hear. And then with Dabo, I mean, I thought his comments were probably what a lot of people are thinking, even if it's not right or fair or whatever. So I put him number three. I didn't think his were as pointed or as uh, controversial, maybe, as the other two were. Mike Leach, though, whew, you know, they can talk about, uh, you know, opportunities to expand his culture or awareness all they want. But um, that's not the f first time he's gone sort of way off the deep end. And it's not the last time either. Yeah, I think I think that Dabo means well, and I think one day he'd make a great uh, tele evangelist. And his comments weren't really 
he's just a hopeful guy. The fact that he's gallivanting around the country in his private plane going to places that probably shouldn't be going to. I don't know. I, I mean, that, that's but I mean, he is he's a very unique creature. And hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully he's right about the optimism. He's been right about a lot when it comes to football. I, I, maybe he needs to just stay there. I don't know. Any other questions, Greg? No, I think that should wrap things up for this week, Bob. We're going to hear from Tim Banks uh, later this week. So be sure to check out uh, what, you know, what comments he has to say. And obviously it should be a good week here for the Penn State recruiting machine. Um, so be sure to stay tuned, penlive.com slash Penn State football for that. Again, the videos are at youtube.com slash all Penn State. You can find these podcasts and all of Penn Live's audio offerings, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your information. Bob, the last thing I have, I will let us run away with this. As we get closer to the original date that the blue-white game was supposed to be played on April 18, I know we're going to start thinking about some content to build around that. Yeah. So let's just ask folks to send us some emails, beeflounders at penlive.com, gpickle at penlive.com. Let's see what you think, how you want us to commemorate that day. Bob, any quick thoughts on that? On Twitter, BobbyFlow7. And what's yours again, Greg? It's just at Greg Pickle. All right. I don't have any other thoughts. I just want to wish you and Lola the best. And hopefully uh, you'll have the peanut butter ratio right when we meet again in a week. 